I was always observing Marceau and listening to him for 40 years. How did a master at his level move through the world? And even though Marceau died 10 years ago, he's still my mentor, he's still my teacher. I'm still learning from him almost every day. Especially now that I've been diagnosed with Parkinson's. Welcome to Rumble Strip. I'm Erica Heilman. Rob Merman had a career as a mime clown for 40 years. Then in 1987, he started a circus company here in Vermont called Circus Smirkus. Three years ago, he was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. This is a story about the study of movement, the loss of control of movement, about catastrophe and grace. Here's Rob Merman. 1965. I'm 15 years old. I'm in high school watching Sunday evening television with my family, my parents and brothers and sisters. And the Red Skelton show came on. It was the Red Skelton variety show, weekly one-hour variety show. It was Red Skelton and a man named Marcel Marceau doing an hour of skits without speaking. It was pantomime, creating a whole world out of empty space. Uh, and And I loved that. And now I'm 19 in college out in Illinois, northern Illinois, and I see in the paper that this man, Marcel Marceau, will be performing up in Wisconsin about a three-hour drive away, live on stage. So I said, i got to see this guy. So I got in my car. I, I drove the three hours in the middle of the winter. It was snowstorm. It was ice. At this theater in Madison, Wisconsin, was at 8 o'clock. I got there at quarter of 8. Sold out. So what are you going to do? You're not just going to turn around and leave. You're on a path here. You're on a pilgrimage. So I started walking around the block, wondering what to do. And sure enough, about half a block away, I found an open door. I went in, I walked down this alleyway. There was another door open at the end of that. It led through some empty offices in the dark. And I came to another door, opened it up into this dark closet full of winter coats hanging on hangers. And suddenly the light turned on, click. And this man said, are you here to help? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I almost saluted this guy. He said, well, quick, the show's about to start and it's sold out. So we're going to put these folding chairs in in the back for the staff to come and watch this guy, Marcel Marceau. I said, that's why I'm here, sir. And I grabbed a handful of chairs and I went and put them in the back and sat right down. (laughs) I remember the moment Marceau appeared. There was uh, banging, bang, 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 bang. Bang, bang, bang. And then music would start. And as the piece of music is playing, the lights in the audience, the house lights would slowly dim down over the course of this one minute of music. And at the end of the music, the lights were dark, silence, the curtain would open, and there was this figure dressed in white with his white face just standing there. And Marceau is not a tall man, but he looked large on stage. There was nothing except himself in a spotlight. 
and he began to create a whole universe around him. Tragedy, comedy, the whole spectrum of human experience. And it was mesmerizing. And I looked down in the intermission, I looked at the program, and in the back page of the program for that evening, it said, Marcel Marceau will be opening his first international mime school in October in Paris. That's it. I wrote him a letter expecting that there would be some kind of interview or audition. No, I got a form letter back said, classes begin October 3rd at 8 a.m. Théâtre de la Musique, Paris. Here's how Marcel Marceau defined the art of mime. He said, the art of mime is the identification with the essence of all things that surround us and the portrayal of human thought and emotion through silent physical expression. That's a mouthful that, that says everything. So it wasn't just about doing funny little comedy skits. He was talking about the experience of humanity. So a mime is an actor who also needs to be a dancer, gymnast, a philosopher, historian, and observer of human nature. And I remember the early days of working with Marceau that year. It was 1969, 1970. I studied Marceau as a human being. What was it about this human being that made him unique and made him such a master? And I would see him every year somewhere where he's performing in the world because he, he never stopped traveling for 65 years, performing all around the world. And I would see him in Paris and London, here in the States and different cities. And we'd always go out for dinner and I would observe him carefully and how people would react to him. Other students, other teachers, the general public, they, they would fawn over him. He, he was an icon. He was a master unique in the world of culture. And I remember thinking that I did not want to be him. I did not need that fame. I did not need to be so obsessed with one thing, the way mime became Marceau and Marceau became known as mime. But I wanted to be able to think the way he did and see the world the way he did and carry that philosophy with me with whatever I chose to do in my life. And in 1999, I managed to convince Marceau to come and do a benefit show for Circus Smirkus here in Vermont. And it was a near catastrophe. The Smirkus kids and myself were gonna perform the first half of the show, then there was an intermission, and Marceau would come out and do his numbers for the second half of the show, solo. And during the day, he went into the ring and rehearsed a little bit. And he, he was obviously nervous because the ring is soft. It's not a hardwood floor. It, it, there are mats underneath the rug. And he's not used to that. And it was in the, in the round. And I said, Monsieur, you know, the, there are people behind here. So don't, you don't have to play up front. You could, oh, wait, 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 wait. I know, I know, no. And I said to his lighting director, another Frenchman, I said, look, I, I know Marceau loves to have the lights turned on 100% because it really shines on his white costume and his white face. 
is very visible to the audience. But this is not a 3,000 seat theater. And if you turn the lights up 100%, it'll blow our circuits. Wait, 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 wait. I know, I know, wait, 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 wait. Ay, ay, ay. We did the first half of the show, intermission. Marceau came out to do his part of the show. And I'm looking at the lights. They're up too high. They're way too high. 30 seconds into Marceau's performance. Blackout. Oh, my heart sank. And then I heard this very impressive French cursing in the ring. <laughs> so I stumbled out into the dark and bumped into Marceau and grabbed his arm and brought him backstage behind the curtain in the dark. And I said, it's okay, we'll get the lights on. We'll get the lights on. I knew we wouldn't. Some miracle happened. The lights came on and after about a minute, Marceau calmed himself down, went out, started performing again. He was clearly nervous. And then something changed. It was the magic of the big top. The smile started to come on his face. The, the magic of the audience and the tent and the circus and the circus ring, it got him and it got everybody. By the end of his show, people were just on their feet, applauding and applauding. And Marceau did something he never did in his 60 year career. In costume and makeup in front of an audience, he put a finger to his lips and then he talked to the audience. You know, he was holding his hand on his heart saying how, how he loved America. His first performance when he was 19 was for the GIs in Paris after, after World War II. And, and he brought all the Smirkus kids into the ring and me and we did a funny little number together and people were crying. They saw three generations of mentors in the ring. Marceau was, <laughs> Marceau was my mentor. I was mentored to a couple of the Smirkus coaches who had been former Smirkus kids who were coaching the new batch of Smirkus kids who were there. Sometimes catastrophe can be the prelude to an experience of profound grace. I was doing a show with soap bubbles. I do soap bubble tricks, making sculptures with soap bubbles, soap bubble carousels, bubbles attached to each other that spin around through space. And so I'm holding that bubble in the wand and I see the bubble quivering a little bit. I thought, huh, I couldn't quite keep that bubble still. Then when I would come home and take a shower and shampoo my hair, I noticed that when I'm lathering my hair, you do that with two hands and you're stroking your hair and with your fingertips. And my right hand would have a normal back and forth rhythm. My left hand couldn't quite keep up the same rhythm of lathering the hair that my right hand did. How come my left hand is not keeping up with my right hand? So this was all very curious because I was very aware as a mime of my movements and when a movement is not correct, of course I'm very curious why. So I was having a regular checkup with my doctor and I was telling these stories about shampooing my hair and slight little tremor in my left hand, not, not so bad. And he got suspicious 
he said, has this been happening for a while? I said, six months or so. And immediately he gave me the name of a neurologist. Just check it out, he said. So I saw this neurologist uh, and she, there's just very simple tests. You do a little finger movements, you, you tap your knees with your hands, both hands at the same time. You walk down the hall. But within 15 minutes of doing some movements like this, she said, I'm a f sorry to tell you, but I think you've got Parkinson's disease. Just like that. In Parkinson's, the neural pathways that control movement are not getting the right signals from the brain. So my left leg, for example, shuffles a little bit. Or my, as I'm walking down the street, your arms normally swing, and I would notice that my left arm is not swinging as much as my right until I start thinking about it. When I think about it, then my, my thoughts are sending the message to my brain that, okay, move that left arm higher, and then I can do it. So this is what is curious to me, that if there's a movement disorder, if I'm aware of it, and I observe it, and I analyze it, I should be able to correct it. I should be able to find a neural pathway that is working. So I start doing research about Parkinson's and I come across this fairly obscure term called paradoxical kinesis. And it's when someone who has a movement disorder for some reason can suddenly move quite well and smoothly under extreme circumstances, like somebody who might be in a wheelchair and they, they have trouble walking but they can get up and run to save some child in, from a burning apartment. Or in a more mundane way, you put a, a pianist who has tremors in his hands and arms and can't control his tremors, sit him at a piano and suddenly he can play perfectly fine. So this is fascinating to me. That tells me that the body has an intelligence that we can tap into. Why can't we purposefully stimulate the paradoxical kinesia impulse? So that's what I'm after. So I started teaching a class in pantomime to people with Parkinson's. How about make a dance move? So like You're Fred Astaire, this is Ginger Rogers. Looks more like you're Duncan. <laughs> I give them these mime principles that they can try to relate to their own symptoms. I say, look, first, become aware of how you're moving incorrectly. Then observe yourself, analyze the movement, and analyze how you could start moving correctly. Visualize correct movement. Then after you're visualizing it, do it in mime. So you get the right movement that you've just visualized, and then do it for real. And we're also doing circus games in the class because the mime technique, I think, is for awareness of movement. The circus techniques are for balance, reflexes, we're juggling, we're balancing peacock feathers on the hands. One lady has a strong tremor in her hand and I put this peacock feather on her hand to balance as tall. And as she's focusing at the top of the peacock feather to keep it still, I'm looking at her hand and her hand is not tremoring anymore because she has shifted her focus to the peacock feather and the, the balance trick of that.
So the combination of the mime technique and that awareness and the analysis of movement and then the circus games where we have a lot of fun and they're laughing and we're joking and the joviality of that really helps us in the fact that I have Parkinson's so I understand what they're going through and what helps me maybe helps them and we talk about that. What can be good for you? Let's talk about it and let's see if we can come up with an exercise for it. Yeah. A lot of people, when they see me, they have no idea I have Parkinson's because I'm not exhibiting the classic symptoms. However, I'm aware of my movement limitation and I'm constantly aware of every single movement I make all day long. Every gesture I make, as I'm talking to you, I'm aware if I'm gesturing with my right hand. And if I'm just gesturing with my right hand, as I'm talking, having a conversation, in the back of my mind says, Rob, gesture with your left hand sometimes. So I would do that on purpose. I'm a very aware of my posture, how I'm sitting. I'm aware of when I blink. And if I haven't blinked, I tell myself silently to blink. So for me, having Parkinson's is like doing mime all day. And when you have any kind of a disease, and they call this a progressive chronic disease that at this point has no cure, well, I don't want to buy into that yet. There's a part of me that is very nervous about progressing more and more with obvious symptoms because I I see it with all the other Parkinson's folks that I work with. And I've had other serious diseases like cancer. So I know that having something like this does change you. People talk about you are not your disease. Well, you are. The disease is part of you. And how you deal with it and how you think of it is who you are. Here's another story about Marceau. 1974, I think it was, in Chicago. Marceau was performing in a theater, in an adjacent theater, Rudolf Nureyev was performing, the fabulous, amazing Russian ballet dancer, huge star. There was an alleyway connecting the two theaters, and Marceau had never met Nureyev, and he wanted to. And I happened to be there visiting with Marceau. And I said, oh, please, please, can I? Because they were going to meet during the intermissions of their shows in the alleyway. So sure enough, Marceau said, yeah, 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 come backstage, come backstage. So we went to the alleyway. Marceau's in his full costume. Nureyev comes with this beautiful, you know, a face like, head like a lion. And beautiful, wearing his costume, his tights and... So I stayed way back, just let them alone. And they approached each other slowly with these expressions on their faces like two teenagers about to meet their idol. And as they came close, then they reached for each other's cheek and just with the finger caressed each other's cheeks and then hugged. They had nothing to prove to the world 
which creates a, a kind of humility. They were humble with each other and they recognized the level that each was at. They recognized their mastership and they were humbled by each other. It was beautiful. Ah, well, Parkinson's for me now reminds me of the word grace. First graceful movement that is not really mine anymore, but it's teaching me again how to move with grace through the world. I can't not have Parkinson's now. So, how can I have Parkinson's with grace? That was Rob Merman. To learn more about Rob and his circus and mime class for Parkinson's disease, go to my website, rumblestripvermont.com. I'll have links there to more information about Rob and his class. I'd like to thank my friend Tobin Anderson for his help with this episode. The music you've heard in the show is La Ventana by Nicholas Soren, Claire de Lune performed by Nina Postolovskaya, a selection from a CD called Accordion Melancholique, and right now you're listening to a selection from a CD of French accordion classics. Links to all of this music are on my website, rumblestripvermont.com. If you like the show, please consider making a donation. These donations really do make the show possible, and I really appreciate them. It would also be great if you could leave a comment on iTunes or Facebook or Twitter or whatever places seem like good places to write nice things about a podcast. The comments help new listeners find the show, and they help me with the promotion of the show, which is not my forte. So every comment really does help. I'm Erica Heilman. This is Rumble Strip. Thanks a lot for listening. Mm-hmm.